I'll tell you, we, we, I mean, I've never been trapped in a parking lot in my life. But the, the, it was unbelievable, the Christmas shopping. And uh, I was determined to beat this thing. I finally got in there, but I learned a little bit of patience yesterday. I, you know, it's amazing how every time I study, the Lord lets me walk through what I get to preach to you. And, and uh, but I, I wish I came through that with flying colors. I, I was mumbling on my, my breath, and, you know, I could just feel the, the eyes of the Holy Spirit saying, Ray, come on now. You're going to do, you're going to, you're going to find that parking spot. How many here have ever, you know, found a, a hole? It was a, a slot. And, and you, you go around the, the traffic, you go around and you come back and, and you're racing for the hole. And I noticed that there was another lady in another car. She saw it. And so she's going one way and I'm going the other way. I went running around to get it. And I'll tell you, I, I know I came up there, and I, I saw it first. I want to tell you, I saw that first. <laughs> and she jetted in that thing, and I, I, oh, I wanted to get out of the car and let her know that that was the most unsanctified, no, <laughs> thing that she could do. <clears throat> and uh, that wasn't the only time, too. And then we went farther out. I mean, we kept going. I mean, we were practically at Red Robin by the time we found a parking spot clear across the road. It was, it, it was amazing, but man, I'll tell you, talk about some spiritual warfare just in the parking lot. And uh, I, I said, you know what? Christmas is not worth this. And uh, no, it is. But I, I just, I tell you, I had to pray and say, Lord, give me faith. Amen. I had to pray for that lady who took my spot in Jesus' name. I had to bless her. Oh boy, that was. How many of you know when you're walking by faith sometimes and you do that, uh, your feelings are not engaged at all? I bless you in Jesus' name. My faith. And uh, man, I'll tell you. But thank God we came through. And you know, my wife, she doesn't say a word. She just looks at me. That's all my wife has to do. She just bows her head. And she looks, Ray, what are you doing? You know, and I'm saying, wow, she got my spot. And it, it, was, it was a battle. Then I had to come back and pray. And, uh, you know, and I tell you, the Lord just really had me in a place where it was, it was stretching me. And if we've been out there before, we are being stretched. Some of us are being stretched. You know, I, I found some statistics yesterday, or actually I heard it on the news, that the holiday seasons is one of the most dis, uh, distressing and depressing times for people. And the reason is, is they have to get together with family members. By the way, I'm really hot up here, uh, Bill, if you could cut me down on the monitors, I think. But when people get together, they just get stressed out. They get stressed out about this, the uh, sense of needing to go into debt and buy Christmas presents. And, and uh, I, I have to buy presents for Junior. And I, I have to. And so many people at this time of the year just go into debt. And may I just say to you, be free from that. Uh, 
you, you, you need to, you know, sometimes the best Christmas you can do for your kids is to teach them to give their presents to others. Wow, that's a thought. We actually did that with our boys. We taught them to give out. In fact, they come back with a sense of reward and knowing, wow, it's, it's fun to give. It really is. So, and and uh, we, we just need to kind of take this time of the year and just teach our kids to learn how to be like Jesus and the blessing it is. Amen? I want you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew 10. Matthew 10, verse 1. We're on part three on the unbelie- on the uh, the uh, the authority of the believer. How many of you appreciated Pastor Iverson last week? Remember, Pastor, he just spoke on the word of hope and spoke on love and just bring an apostolic word to the church. And you know, one of the things that Brother Dick said, uh, I was taking him to the airport, and he says, Ray, the church has an excellent foundation. Because you're teaching the people right. We want to be taught. How many of you know that we need to be established on a good foundation? You want your home to stand the test of the storms that come. We need a healthy foundation. Today we're going to look at the authority of the believer. I'm going to take you through some scriptures this morning. I will not be long, but I want to, over, I want to take you through something this morning that I think is critical for us to be able to fight the good fight of faith want us to pray. Can we, Father, we thank you for the, the power of the Holy Spirit. We thank you, Lord, for that place in Christ that you have seated us, all of us this morning, who are washed by the blood of the Lamb. We thank you, Lord, that you are in charge. Lord, there's nothing that happens that you don't know about. But, Lord, you've also, Lord, raised us, cleansed us, you've healed, you've restored us, Lord, and you have empowered us with the power of the Holy Spirit. And we give you praise in Jesus' name. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. I want to tell you a little story. Years ago, my grandfather had a chicken farm. And he had about 5,000 chickens. 5,000 chickens. And uh, he, he had those chickens for eggs. He, he, in a time of his life, there was a season in his life where he needed extra income. So he went out and he <clears throat> harvested about 5,000 chickens, bought them. And he had this barn already built, but it was a real old barn. And uh, we had to, uh, we put those chickens, and he had all these shelves and these little slots where all of these chickens would lay their eggs. And every morning and evening, you'd have to go out and collect these legs. He also had some employees that did that. One day, my granddad called me up and he said, Hey, Ray, I want to ask you if you and your brother would like to do a little job for me around the chicken farm, the chicken barn. And I said, Well, what is that? He says, I need you to go and I need you to take a hammer and some nails and some wood and I need you to cover every hole in that barn because we have some weasels and we have rodents that are coming in and killing the chickens. And so my brother and I, my dad, or my grandfather, hired my brother and I. We went down, and I'll tell you, we looked at the barn, and there was all these little holes under the foundation. It was a barn that was kind of on these skids, so the floor was exposed. And so we had to go in, and I'll tell you, we had pieces of wood, and we nailed on the walls. And I thought for sure we could get those, and still the weasels were still getting in. 
And I'll tell you, then we had to go under the on the floor. I mean, every little hole these weasels were getting in and killing these chickens. They even went into the roof. I had to climb up there, and we had, I mean, my brother and I, we had declared war on the weasels. I mean, I, we, we were setting traps. We put poison traps on If there's any animal rights people here, forgive me, but I tell you, there, there was, we had declared war on those weasels. And I, I'll tell you one thing about a weasel. They are relentless, they're persistent, and if they're blood-hungry, they are, they will get in to get those chickens. And I'll tell you, I, I got angry at those crazy critters because we couldn't stop them from getting inside. I thought they actually walked through walls, all through walls, because we couldn't get them out. And, uh, and then finally, uh, there was times where I had to go into the chicken coop. And by the way, if you've ever been in a chicken coop where you have roosters protecting the hens. And one time I was over in the wall. My brother and I was on a corner. We were putting some boards. And all of a sudden, right behind me, I heard this whoosh go by. And it was a rooster coming after me. Oh, yeah, roosters in the hens uh, with the hens will attack you. And I had a few roosters coming after me. Of course, I turned around and yelled at them. Uh, but... Uh, I'll tell you, it was warfare. It was a battle. Well, the title of my message today is Who's Guarding the, the Hen House? <laughs> Who, who's guarding the, the coop? Who's guarding the, the house? How many of you know we've got to check all the, the doors? And uh, when I use that story because Jesus is, and the Apostle Paul is talking here about the power of the believer. And here we find in in Matthew chapter 10, verse 1, when Jesus was equipping and training His disciples, He said, and He commissioned, He says, He called His twelve disciples to Him. I want you to know this is a calling. And it says, He gave them power over unclean spirits. Notice that Jesus said He gave them power. And he, here is the first time in the New Testament where Jesus begins to instruct His disciples. One of the reasons He instructs His disciples for why they were given power. It wasn't just power to sing and power to preach and power uh, you know, to have a great time. But it was power over, and He re- defines it as Unclean spirits. Now I want to tell you something, folks. What is alarming today is two-thirds of the church, people that attend church in America, do not even believe in hell. They don't believe that the devil is real. And one of the reasons is because we have been conditioned by Hollywood. Most people with the vampire movies and Harry Potter, most people today see that as a fantasy or it's just entertainment, it's not real. They don't believe it's real. In fact, do you know that because, thanks to Harry Potter, do you know, this was uh, on Focus on a Family, Focus on the Family uh, did a research and found that because of Harry Potter and the, the uh, popularity of it, 13% of young people around the world who have read Harry Potter have seriously considered going into witchcraft because of it. There's a drawing towards it. Let me tell you, folks, 
One of the ways that the devil sets the hook in your life, in the life of your children, is he must make witchcraft, he must make rebellion, he must make these things attractive, and he comes through the form of entertainment. He comes through the form of just these things that look very innocent. Satan understands stealth. He understands uh, camouflage. He knows how to come in a guarded way to deceive young people as well as everyone. Jesus made a very clear warning in Matthew that we need to be on our guard. But Jesus said here in Matthew that he gave his disciples power over unclean spirits to cast out demons and to heal all kinds of sickness and disease. I cannot tell you how many times in counseling, when I'm dealing with problems and talking to people and we love them and our desire is to build hope, build vision, and help people come into a place where they're restored in Jesus. That's our mission. But I want you to know, folks, that behind every problem, most problems, behind most conflicts, there is spiritual principalities and powers that are working against your home, against your family, against your mind. And I want you to know something. That the powers of darkness, spiritual wickedness, and rulers in high places are strengthened or weakened by the doors they have access into your life. I want you to know that Christians can be tormented. There are Christians today that come to the Lord and they said the sinner's prayer, they repented, they come to church, and yet they still have the residue of some problems that are in their life that have been hanging on them for years. It can be habits, it can be bitterness, it can be resentment, it can be issues, attitudes, it can be issues in their flesh, and they're dealing with issues not realizing that they can give strength to these unclean spirits They can give strength to them as you begin to yield to their suggestions. I want you to jump with me to Matthew chapter 12. Jesus raised the attention of this. Matthew chapter 12, verse 43. When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, and he's talking about the spirit now. He's talking about a spirit. What is a spirit? What is an unclean spirit? An unclean spirit is a spirit that is in opposition to the Holy Spirit. An unclean spirit can come through the voice of suggestion or persuasive suggestion. Unclean spirits can come through your internet. They can speak to you through a friend, through Facebook. Unclean spirits will draw you away. They come to you in the form of vain imaginations. You see, one of the things that's problem, the unclean spirits in the lives of anybody are strengthened with people who are ignorant concerning their devices and their schemes. Paul says, lest Satan should get an advantage of us. We are not ignorant of his 
methods or method, uh, methodos. That's where we get the word method or his schemes or his mind games. Only a fool would say, ah, oh, that's not the devil. Only a fool would say that. You need to understand that his plan is to destroy the church. Jesus said, Satan comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but I come that you might have abundant life. Jesus talked more about the powers of darkness, the devil. He talked more about this thing. He brought more attention to it than any other prophet in the Bible. It's not until we get into the New Testament that we begin to uh, begin to learn about the fact that when Jesus was even baptized and the heavens were open in the Jordan River, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit led Jesus. The Bible says that He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tested by Satan for 40 days and 40 nights. They didn't say that He just went into the wilderness and camped out, fasted and prayer, prayed. It said He went in and He was tested by Satan. And it was in those testing times that Jesus was tempted in three basic areas. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. These three windows, these three doors, is where the enemy will come and test any person who confesses and proclaims Jesus as Lord. When you confess Jesus as Lord, there is a big, huge target on you. The devil has targeted you and he will assault you. He will come to ridicule. He will come to intimidate. He will come to attack, to assault. He comes even in marriages and churches to seek to divide us. And yet people today end up fighting people. We wrestle against people. We have problems with people not realizing that there are unclean spirits that are feeding the imaginations of people who do not know what is going on in the spirit realm. And instead of dealing and falling on their knees and beginning to pray and bind the powers that are working to, that seeks to divide us, we end up fighting each other. And what happens is when you begin to fight each other, you strengthen that unclean spirit in your mind. And what happens because of it? You know what happens? Is we begin to isolate ourselves. We begin to go into a place of isolation and we insulate ourselves from others. We begin to see people as the problem. And the devil and the demons are saying, yes, I want the church divided. I want people hating each other. I want there to be people who have problems in the church where they can gossip and splinter themselves. I want them to be bound because when the church is divided, it's weakened and it's worthless. But when a church begins to rise up and begin to see the powers that are working behind the scenes, all of a sudden you begin to, as a church, as a marriage, you begin to come together. My wife and I dealt with this. In the earlier parts of our marriage, my wife and I were not getting along. We had differences. We were different. We were unique. We were opposites. And one of the things I thought the most, the, the, on, the only way that we were going to ever change was what we call behavior modification. We're going to modify our behavior. I'm going to be much kinder. I'm going to be a nicer guy. and She's going to be a more open spouse. And we thought that would work. 
let me tell you something. Behavior modification or modifying your behavior will never work. We begin to work. We begin to realize that the enemy was coming with seducing lies. Because of my past and because of some dysfunction in my past and where I came from and because of the weakness of my understanding of who I was in Christ and my identity, even though I was raised in a, in a local church, I saw my wife during a period of time in my marriage. I saw Carol as a threat to me. And did I, I did not realize that in my past, because of a crisis, because of the lack of nurturing and the lack of affirmation, the lack that was not placed in my young life, I begin to view certain situations and people as a threat. And what happened was an unclean spirit threw at the door of a crisis. The enemy must come through a door. How many of you know Jesus said that when we begin to walk in the power of the Spirit, the gates of hell will not prevail? But here we find here in Matthew chapter 12, verse 43, when an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places seeking rest and he finds none. Then he says, I will return to my house. Everyone say, my house. Jesus is using the metaphor of a house to illustrate something to you so you can grasp it. He's using the word house so that you can understand that your life, your body is like a house. Do you know that your life is like a house with many rooms? Your life has many rooms. All of you have many rooms. You have different rooms. Let me give you some of these rooms. Some of these rooms are, one is your childhood. One room is your marriage. Another room are the things that you do in secret that give you that sense. Maybe it medicates you. All of us have different rooms. One room may be our family or our children in our life. Another room may be our job. Another room may be things that we do, uh, hobbies. Another room may be that we have in, it may be the living room. It, it may be where the Lord Himself dwells in that room. How many of you know it's possible for Jesus to dwell in a room but not really dwell in the whole house? A lot of people today have Jesus in a room, but He's not in the rest of the house. We find here, that this here, when Jesus is talking about an unclean spirit going out of a man, He is talking about deliverance here. This is a picture of deliverance. An unclean spirit goes out. Why does He go out? Because something clean came in. Now, He, he goes on here to say, He says, I will go back to my house from which I came, and when He comes, He finds it empty, swept, and in order. That is a picture of salvation. When Jesus comes into my life, He cleanses, He washes, He sweeps, and He brings me into proper alignment. I have peace. There's a sense of understanding of who I am. I'm part of the family of God. There's an order in my life. I'm cleansed, but I'm empty. How many of you know it's possible to be saved? You're on your way to going to heaven. You have Jesus in your life, but you're still empty. 
Now, what I think is interesting about this verse is why did this unclean spirit, how did that unclean spirit know that the house was in order, swept, and clean? How did that unclean spirit know that? You know why? Someone left the door open. Someone left the door open. I want to tell you folks right now, Satan is no match for God. Satan is not omnipresent. He is not omniscient. He doesn't know things like God knows them. The only way Satan would know that the house was in order, swept and clean, is because someone left the front door open. What am I talking about? I'm talking about someone is living their life and they don't have their guard up. They don't understand, they don't have discernment. They are allowing things to come in and go out of their life and they don't have the wisdom to discern between good and evil. They will watch movies. They will get involved in activities. Jesus here is talking about a man who is delivered, but the doors and the windows are not guarded. Because this unclean spirit found that the house was empty and in order and clean, but somehow he was able to go inside. You see, it's possible to be saved, but it's also possible for you not to have the whole armor of God on. It's possible for you to come under attack of the enemy. And that's what this is saying. It's possible for you to be in order, but it's possible for your home and your marriage to come under attack unless someone is guarding the door. Are you following what I'm saying? Now, this is not managing sin. What Jesus is talking about here is that He doesn't want you just to be delivered. He wants you to walk in continued deliverance. And so we'll notice what else He says. The unclean spirit goes out and finds seven others worse. What does that mean? Let me tell you something. I had a, a gentleman several years ago had a serious problem in his life. He backslid. He opened some doors in his life. He opened some doors to some activities in his life. And those activities, those doors were friendships. He longed for friendships. The enemy will come through a friend and will begin to nurture a need. Unclean spirits always come to say, I will meet a need in your life. But with that comes a lie. There's a trade-off. You want me to meet that need? You're going to be my slave. That's what an unclean spirit... The objective of an unclean spirit is to make you a slave. Everyone say slave. I want you to get this. How many of you know sometimes there's been decisions that you've made in your life and you look back and it brought you into slavery into it? It wasn't just a habit, folks. It wasn't just some psychological hang-up. Unclean spirits were working to derail you and to bring you into bondage. And what happens is they bring seven other unclean spirits 
and what these unclean spirits are. They come in the form of different suggestions or different activities. This guy did not only fall in alcoholism, he opened the door to pornography and other perversions. He also opened the door for some other things. In the latter state of the man became worse. He couldn't hold a relationship. There were some other things. He also had a spirit. Let me tell you, this guy that I knew, he had a spirit of fear and the spirit of entitlement. He felt people in the job and everybody in the church, my parents, they owe me something. Folks, that's a spirit. Not the spirit of God. And that, that young man was tormented. And the only thing that can help them come to get free is when we begin to bring the truth. Jesus said you shall know the truth and the truth will what? No, it doesn't say set. It says will make you free. As a Christian, I cannot be afraid to tell people the truth. Now, we need to do it in love. We need to let them know we care about them. But we find here that in this passage, Jesus said, they came back, and notice it says, and they entered and dwelt there, and the latter state of the man was worse than the first, so shall it be with this wicked generation. Now, what are three characteristics of an unclean spirit. Jump with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. What are the characteristics of these spirits that come? I pray you follow with me this morning. Notice what the Apostle Paul says. Second Corinthians 10, verse 3, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. In other words, our weapons are not trying to get the upper hand in an argument. I have to tell you something in my own carnality. There was a day in my marriage where I felt that I had to have the last word. I had the last word. I got the last jab. That's weapons of carnality. When you think, well, I got the last word, or here's another weapon of carnality, is I got more people on my side than your side. Hmm? My dog's bigger than your dog. Ha ha. So, so we, we try to think that we win by getting people on our side. How many of you know you really lose that way? You might win the battle, but you're going to lose the war that way. Or here's another one that I used to do. Maybe none of you do it. But when my wife and I get in tiff, I'd punish her with silence. I just wouldn't talk to her. <laughs> That's using carnal weapons to win a battle that you'll never win. Okay? Or another weapon is just simply gossip. I'm just going to tear him down. I don't like that guy, so I'm going to make up something or I'm going to stretch something. That are carnal weapons, and that's how you strengthen unclean spirit. I wish the church would come to this level of understanding. that, and Folks, what I'm talking about this morning is coming into a deliverance and a healing in our life. Now, notice what Paul says. I want you to notice three characteristics. Number four, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but are mighty in God for pulling 
down strongholds. Notice what it says. Casting down arguments. Everyone say arguments. Let me tell you the first thing about an unclean spirit. They love to argue. They argue. They're always resisting. They love to fight what God says is right. Sometimes I run, run into parents who have kids that argue. Why? Why do I have to do that? Parents, we need to understand. Do you know that unclean spirits can infiltrate and influence the mind of a young person? And guess where they're getting it? School. We need to know that school is a feeding ground where unclean spirits begin to influence young people. Peer pressure, sexual pressure, drug pressure. All these pressures, they are not from God. And they're not just from kids. It's coming from the pit of hell. And that's why as parents, what my, of course my wife and I, we raised our kids in homeschool, but we've told parents and we've done this with other parents, we put a blood shield around our kids. We begin to pray the blood of Jesus and we begin to speak the favor of God on our young people. And we declare to them a new identity. You're a holy young man, a holy young woman. And we begin to declare and we begin to shut the doors where the enemy would try to come in by giving them wisdom and discernment so they would recognize the, uh, the, the, the attack and the assault of the enemy. The best thing that parents can do is to teach your kids how to do spiritual warfare. Parents, it's not enough to teach them to play ball. It's not enough to teach them to win their drill or whatever. We need to teach our kids where the real battle is. Not on a football field. It's in their heart, in their mind. It's so important. The Apostle Paul says in this passage, the first thing that we need to do is cast down arguments. Number two, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Unclean spirits always exalt their knowledge. They question the Word of God. They rebel. Everyone say rebellion. There's a spirit of rebellion with an unclean spirit. It argues and it rebels against the Word. It questions and challenges the Word. And the last thing here is what Paul goes on to say. And against the knowledge of God bringing into captivity uh, to the, captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish. Everyone say punish. It didn't say to massage this thing. It said to punish it. All disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. In other words, he is saying here that the third aspect of an unclean spirit is they perpetuate a spirit of disobedience. There's, there's a tolerance. I want you to jump with me to Nehemiah chapter 2. I want you to see an unclean spirit in action in the Old Testament. Here's an unclean spirit. Nehemiah chapter 2. We're talking about warfare here. Here Nehemiah, this cupbearer, gets a word from the Lord. He's impressed by the Lord to go back and to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And he comes among some brethren in chapter 2 and he's encouraged them, encouraging them. Remember, Israel, for a couple hundred years now, had been under the Babylonian and the Persian Empire because of Israel's wickedness and disobedience. So the Lord allowed Babylon to come and overtake Israel. 
for 70 years and then 150 years. This is about 150 years after that time when we have the writing of the book of Nehemiah as well as Ezra that goes along with it. But in chapter 17, Nehemiah rises up and he says to these bewildered, uh, uh, distressed Israelites and Jewish people, and he says, you see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lies waste and its gates are burned with fire. Come and let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. And I told them how the hand of my God, which has been good upon me, and also the king's words that he had spoken to me. So they said, let us rise and build. And they set their hands to this good work. Can you say amen? We need to come, folks, to a point where we begin to say, God's hand is good upon us. God's favor upon you. And I want to say something to you, new life. God's favor is on you. I want you to know that. God's hand of favor is upon you. And He wants you to rebuild. He doesn't want you to give up. He doesn't want you to quit. But notice what an unclean spirit says. Verse 19. But when Sanballat the Horonite, the Baia the Ammonite official, and Geshem the Arab heard of it, they laughed at us and despised us and said, what is this thing you are doing? Will you rebel against the king? And I answered them and said, the God of heaven himself will prosper us. I want everybody to say that. The God of heaven himself will prosper us. Say it again. The God of heaven himself will prosper us. That's how you counteract when the enemy comes in like a flood on your life. When the enemy laughs at you and says, your marriage ain't going to work. Your kids aren't going to excel in their home. You need to say the God of heaven himself will prosper us. Too much of the time, we just let the enemy hit us. Smack us on the side. Comes in like the flood. The doctor gives you a bad report. He says, it's it's over, man. I don't think I'm going to make it. Wait a minute. Stop in Jesus' name. Pastor Ray, you're really kind of getting radical this morning. Yeah, I am. The church doesn't take this seriously. Unclean spirits are not here to tickle you. They're not here to just intimidate you. They're there to destroy you. And they're patient. They're very, they're very calculated. They know how to wait. They will wait for years to set you up to kill you. They've been practicing for 6,000 years. And notice, jump, jump to chapter 4. And they're be, beginning to rebuild the walls. Nehemiah, here again, an unclean spirit, working through these, these uh, Canaanites. But when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, that he was furious and very indignant, and he mocked the Jew. I want you to write this down. Sanballat is the spirit of mockery. Sanballat is the spirit of mockery and ridicule. He comes to mock you. Some of you, God is... How many here has God put a call on your life? God has spoken to you. How many here have ever felt a voice or a thought or a vain imagination come and say, you're not going to make it. You fool. Do you think Pastor Ray would even listen to you? 
Yeah, well, my wife sometimes uses out that one out. Or how about, you know what? You don't have the ability to do that. You step out in faith. Uh, you're going to make a fool and everyone's going to laugh at you. Do you know that that little thought is the spirit of Sandalic? It's the spirit of mockery. Then we have, then we also have Tobiah. Notice what Tobiah is. Tobiah in verse 3. Now Tobiah the Ammonite was besides himself and he says, whatever they build, even if a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. Tobiah is the spirit of intimidation. To intimidate. Sanballat is the spirit of mockery. Geshem is also the spirit of rebellion. It is the spirit of rebellion and confusion. It makes you think that you're doing the wrong thing. You're rebelling against God. Now, how do we deal with this? How do we deal with these kind of things? How many of you want to know how we can deal with these things? Turn with me to Ephesians 6. I've got to move fast. My time is gone. Ephesians 6. I wish I could spend a little more time on this, but I want you to jump with me to Ephesians 6, verse 10. Paul says, finally, brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Why? So we can sing in the choir better? No. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against your friends at school. No, he says, put on the whole armor that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Now, folks, some of you may say, well, Pastor Ray, you know, you keep on saying up here on the pulpit that the devil's defeated. I mean, I thought Jesus dealt with the devil on the cross. Yes, he did. What did he do? What did Jesus do on the cross? Jesus destroyed Satan's power from holding us from eternal life. Jesus made a way. He redeemed. He made an atonement for us so that we would no longer be eternally damned to hell. But I want you to know, God did not completely destroy Satan altogether. In fact, that's not going to happen until the very end of time. The Bible says that at the end of time, that God is going to take Satan and all the false teachers and all the false prophets, and take, it will take hell and take death, and they will be cast into the lake of fire. But Satan is allowed to roam. The only power he has is the power to deceive. He has the power to oppress. He has the power to weaken the church if he can get the church to get focused on their own issues and focused on the flesh. If he can get you focused on fighting problems in your own strength. If he can get you fighting each other. If he can get you focused on just physical things. Sometimes the devil doesn't even come with you in such a negative way. Sometimes the devil derails and steers people aside by getting them to focus on just pleasure. Or maybe not just a job, but making money. Where money becomes the goal of your life. And, oh, after all, God wants us to prosper, doesn't He? So we begin to justify certain things. 
and we get our eyes off the kingdom of God. Where the kingdom of God is not first, money is the kingdom in their life. That's a dangerous thing. Satan is subtle. He's stealthy. He works meticulously, crafty. He's, sub, he's subtle, subtle. The Apostle Paul to the Corinthians, where he says, I want you to bear with me, for even as Satan deceived Eve, I, bear, I would that you would bear with me in this, that as he was crafty in taking you away from the simplicity that was in Christ, Paul was warning the church concerning what the devil would do. Here Paul says that we need to be strong in the power of his mind. Putting on the whole armor of God. Now I want to give you four things and I'm going to close about what this armor is. Number one, what is the armor of God? Number one, it involves spiritual preparation. I need to be prepared spiritually. That means I'm going to have to know my Bible. I'm going to have to read my Bible. I'm going to have to make a commitment in my home. My wife and I, every day or at least every other day, we read our Bible together. Not because I'm a pastor. It's because I need to. Because Ray Galligan could be deceived. Ray Galligan could be deceived. By the way, folks, you should not believe everything I hear. Oh, that probably just turned somebody off. Huh? Why? Because Ray Galligan is human. You should check out what I preach and you should go home and prove it for yourself. Never elevate a leader to the point where you believe everything. You're, you're, you're caught in a trap. Ray Galligan is no better, no higher than you are. I could be deceived. I could preach possibly false doctrine. Oh, honey, let's get out of this church. Not intentionally. But I could say some things that are wrong. I've actually had a couple of you come to me at times and say, Pastor Ray, you said something. And I, Pastor, I, I don't want to correct you, but I just, please forgive me, Pastor Ray. And you said this, and they were totally right. I was wrong. Pastor Ray can be wrong. Don't elevate a leader. Never elevate them. You elevate Jesus. Now, you respect the leader in the calling that they have, but never elevate a man to the point where, oh, what Pastor Ray says is law and God. No. You've just opened the door for Satan to deceive you. And by the way, I'm glad I don't want you to elevate me because I get in trouble with you. Because guess what? When you begin to discover my faults, then you begin to realize, oh, man, Pastor Ray really is him. Usually, the people that elevate people love them and can see nothing wrong, but when they make a mistake, then they can't do nothing right. So, it's, it's so important that we understand what it is. Number two, spiritual warfare involves developing a fighting mindset. Paul says we need to fight. Everyone say fight. I've got to fight the good fight. I've got to fight these thoughts. I've got to start guarding the door. I need to realize that, man, there's unclean spirits that are going to come and he's going to bring seven buddies worse than he is. I never want to take for granted what the enemy can do. There's times you've got to shut off the TV. You've got to talk. I told one person this week who has some friends who's been a stumbling block. I said to this man, you need to cut yourself and separate yourselves from a friend 
who is constantly setting you up for a fall. You need to be more a God-pleaser than a man-pleaser. I've got to be a God-pleaser. But I've got to have a mindset to fight. My wife and I, when we come to pray, we don't just say, oh, Lord Jesus, thank you for the roses today. Thank you for the sunshiny sun. Well, I thank God for the sun and the roses. But when we come to prayer, we say, Lord, we just pray right now your kingdom come. Father, we pray a blood protection around this house. Father, I pray that you put the favor on my sons and their wives. I pray that you put the favor of God. Lord, we just pray right now. We pray that you send the holy angels and the hosts of heaven around the families and marriages of this house. We pray, Lord, that you would begin to erect the walls of salvation and the power of God around every home in this house. We come against the powers uh, and the unclean spirits that would come to seduce, deceive your people. That's how we pray. You say, well, Pastor Ray, that's not my background. Well, let's get into it. The third thing about putting on the whole armor of God, Paul says, you've got to know your enemy. Do you know your enemy? Do you really know him? Now, I'm not saying be afraid of him, but you need to know what he's up to. You've got to know your enemy. Not be afraid of him, but you've got to know him. You've got to understand what he's up to. By the way, do you know the enemy will try to work through people that you trust? The enemy will work through people. The enemy has to find a weakness. Every weakness in your life is a door that he comes to establish a stronghold. And from that stronghold, the base of operation is where he begins to work to intimidate, to mock, to ridicule you, and to defeat you, derail you, so you burn out. Okay? I've got to realize that. The last thing is this. Spiritual warfare. <clears throat> You've got to expect to win. You've got to expect to win. No weapon formed against me is going to prosper. I'm going to put on the helmet of salvation. I'm going to start putting on truth to protect me. I'm going to put on the breastplate of righteousness. I'm going to protect my heart. I'm not going to let the arrows just fly in jail. I'm just not going to be a sitting duck. I'm going to start guarding the door of my house. I want to tell you something. My wife said something this morning because we had a chat. I'm not going to get into it because I didn't ask her permission for this, but I'm going to say this. She opened We were talking about her childhood, and there was an incident that happened in my wife's background where her father came against her in an abusive way, in a disciplinary way. And I'm, I'll say this part. He actually washed her mouth out with soap because she and her sister stole some lifesavers. And now what she did was wrong. Yes, she, she stole, my wife actually stole a pack of lifesavers and some, uh, uh, with her sister, Sharon. Well, her dad took her home Took, found out about it and just beat my wife when she was a little girl and her sister. And my wife was, said, my dad just kept beating me and beating me and beating me. And I, that's the first time I'd ever heard that. And uh, 
I said, Carol, we're going to pray right now. Because there was a stronghold that, that needed to be broken. And I did, I'd never heard that before. And you know, that stronghold had to do with how... Now, Carol had forgiven her father, and, and she realized that she, she was wrong. But, but Robin took it too far in his discipline on her and her sister. But it was a hurt that, that lingered with Carol for years. And my point is, is that through that situation, the enemy came in and began to put a lie that was this. Your father doesn't love you. Now, what he did was wrong, that he was too abusive, but there was a lie. And you know, this week, this week, Carol and I broke that stronghold. We broke it in prayer. Now, you may say, well, Pastor Ray, folks, we got to deal with these issues. Some of you have hurts. Some of you have pain. Some of you have had things in your life where people have hurt you, parents have hurt you. And I want to tell you, what we need to do is we need to bring it before the throne of grace. We need to open our heart. We say, Lord, number one, wash me. Cleanse me from the defilement of bitterness and anger and resentment. Because that's how you give unclean spirits strongholds. You give them the advantage. Forgiveness is how you break that stronghold. The second thing you do is you pray for the perpetrator. You pray. Jesus said, bless them and pray for them who despitefully use you. Are you saying, Pastor Ray, that we're supposed to pray that God will bless them? No. What you're doing, as you begin to pray for them, God is setting you free. God will deal with them. God will work with them. But putting on the whole armor of God is where I am adjusting and changing the way I live and I walk through life. I no longer look at you as a... You know what, folks? I am free that I'm not afraid of you anymore. There was a day when Pastor Ray was afraid of people. But guess what? I'm not afraid of you because I'm not living to please you. I am free from trying to find the approval of man. Now I can do what he wants. And what he tells me to do, I do it. And if you hate me, too bad. I know I, know I love friends and I want friends, but I'm living to please him. I'm not living to find your approval. And by the way, you don't want a people-pleasing people pastor. You want a God-pleasing man of God. A man of integrity. A man who has balance in his mind. A man who equips the people. Too much in our community. We have hurting, wounded people. We've got junk coming out of our TV sets. We've got junk coming out of our schools. Folks, we need to guard the doors. We need to understand what's coming in and going out. And we need to take that position that Nehemiah did. He rose up and he says, We will build the walls and the God of heaven will prosper us. We've got to take that place. Let's bow our heads, shall we?